I don't, uh, I don't really believe in omens so much, but if I did, then uh, I saw an omen this morning that it was going to be a really good day. When uh, Charles and I were getting here this morning, we got out of the car and we're, we're walking in and R&R Grill, all right, which is kind of back here to us, their outdoor patio, they had music blaring this morning and it was like old Motown stuff, right? <laughs> And Charles broke out a dance. It was awesome. I don't know how to describe it except like slow roasting, simmering funk. All right, it was, it was awesome. All right. So when I saw that, I was like, "Yep, it's gonna be a good day today. That's a that's a good start to it." Um, today we are starting a new uh, a new journey together through the whole summer. Um, and summer is a time when basically the world just kind of takes a breath, right? Everything kind of shuts down. Most people kind of shut their brains down. Kids, like, leave school for the summer and intentionally forget everything that was pounded into them the year before. Um, families, like, take this vacation where they escape from work and all of these things. Um, movies, even when you go to the movies, like, no one rolls out, like, the deep Oscar contenders during the summer. It's basically like my... Four-year-old nephew Owen is running Hollywood in the summer. Let's go with Thor, about Green Lantern, and Transformers. That works, all right. So it's basically like everyone's brains kind of shut down in the summer. And even us as a church, we transition during the summer as well. We, we shift uh, completely, and we, we just kind of slow things down, and we kind of strip things down here together. And intentionally just enjoy this this time together. We change the scenery intentionally, and we embrace kind of that that natural rhythm that the whole town works on here. Um, and so we just know that all around us, summer is a different time. It's like things kind of shift into a little bit of a lower gear uh, in the summer. So naturally, with everyone's brains shutting down for the summer, we chose the deepest theological book in all of scripture to walk through. All right. Anyway, sarcasm. Um, but, but Romans is, it's, it's one of these deep books. And so while everybody else is kind of shutting their brains down a little bit, we're going to ramp it up this summer. And we are going to soak in this deep book, this, re, this rich book. We're going to soak in the book. We're going to soak it into ourselves. And... Um, and, and, and just dive deep into this rich theological masterpiece that is the book of Romans. Martin Luther called the book of Romans the purest gospel because of the way that Paul just unpacks piece by piece exactly what is going on, the, the depth of what God has accomplished in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's this really, really deep book. This book has sparked all kinds of transformation. Again, Martin Luther himself, it was Romans that really began to trigger things for him as he began to read and comes across this idea of justification by faith <coughs> through grace. And so the, the, the idea that we're saved not by our works, but by purely the grace of God and our faith in what God has done for us. And so that set off this complete transformation within him that spilled over to what we now know as the Reformation and the way it just changed 
the way the church looks all around the world. Um, as a result of that, later, a man named John Wesley, all right, that, that's kind of like the, the, the father of the stream that we come out of and kind of in history and a, and a, a, a hero of mine in history. Um, he was just wrestling with, this, with, with his faith. And here he was, this uh, man of the church, employed by the church, right? Had been a missionary, uh, completely failed as a missionary, um, but had this moment of transformation in his life. And he marks it back to this one day, May 24th. He marks the time. It was at a quarter till nine, he says, in his journal. And he's out at this public street meeting. And they are uh, going to be studying through the book of Romans. And someone is reading Luther's preface to the book of Romans. The, Luther's introduction that he wrote. Not even the book itself, but even just that introduction. And as Wesley heard the words and this idea about this justification by faith, it hit him in a brand new way. And he says in that moment his heart was strangely warm. His heart was strangely warmed, and he was never the same by this revelation of this grace of God and the salvation that comes by faith through grace. And so this book has sparked all kinds of transformations. And so as we read it this summer, we're going to do a couple of things here. We're going to, first of all, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray that God continues that chain reaction of transformation. And we're going to ask that God does the same that he did in their lives and, and in the lives of countless Christians throughout history, that he'll do it for us as well. That as we read through this book, as we walk through it together, that we will experience awakening, that we will experience reformation, that we will have our hearts strangely warmed by the, the, the presence of the Spirit alive in this book and, and the work that it wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. Um, we're also going to read very slowly. Okay, so... As we do this, we're going to take one chapter a week um, that you know in the messages, but also we're going to take one chapter a week on the blog as we read together. Okay, it'll be posted up there one chapter for the whole week, and so either read it over multiple times and just to let the thing sink in, or break it down into smaller pieces and take a small piece per day, however it fits best for you. But we're going to soak in one chapter. For, for a week. I want to really encourage you guys to walk with us through that and just see <coughs> what kind of impact it has on us as a community, how this shapes us and forms us as a community. I'm really excited about the potential of that and the power that is in that. Okay? Cool. So that's, that's a little bit of an introduction here into what we're going into. Um, the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul. Okay, and Paul, we know, ends up writing like half of the New Testament, the letters that he wrote to these different churches um, as either encouragement to those churches. Sometimes it was like a verbal smackdown to some churches that were doing things. Um, and these books circulated, these letters circulated among Christians. And so a church would receive it, and then they would realize, man, this has depth to it, not just for us, but this speaks to other churches as well. So they would begin to pass it around. And these letters would begin to circulate. And so very early on, um, this becomes recognized as inspired by the Holy Spirit and as God speaking to his people through the Apostle Paul. And Romans was, was really the cornerstone of all of those letters. Um, and it became an incredibly important book 
very, very from the beginning of this movement of Christianity. And so it remains, too. It's, it is one of the cornerstone books of the entire New Testament. Um, Paul not wasn't just a writer. He didn't just write letters to the churches, but he was also a missionary. And so he had three extensive different missionary journeys that he went on and planted churches along the way and um, can spark this church planting movement in the, in the early church that really was crucial to the spread of Christianity um, across the world. And so Romans grows out of that. Um, four things that we're going to look at that are just kind of introductions for us today. We're going to start with an introduction to the book today. And four things that kind of are going to be markers for us as we go through the rest of the book. Four things for us to keep in mind and um, to kind of hold in front of us. When you go on a trip, a lot of times you kind of have these mile markers set out, right? Uh, for Sarah and I, when we go on a trip, we don't mark our trip by the number of miles. We don't even mark our trip by like what town we kind of are passing through. We mark our trip based right from the very beginning on what restaurants we're going to stop at. Alright? So Cracker Barrel? Uh-huh. Definitely. Alright? Just got crack in the title for a reason. It's addictive. Okay. <laughs> so we always do that. Um, cookout. We know the last cookout you can get before the North Carolina border. Okay? And then the other one for us that is the Holy Grail is that rare moment when you can find a combo restaurant where it's got Taco Bell and yes. Long John Silver's in the same <laughs> restaurant. Horrible. It's terrible, but it's delicious. Okay. It's Long John Silver chicken plank. Check it out. Okay. So, for us, as we move through the rest of this uh, book together, we're going to lay out these four markers that are going to that are going to lead us on the way. Okay. These are going to be things that from the very start, these are going to set the course for us um, for the rest of the summer, okay? Number one, Romans is a book about practical theology. Number one, practical theology, okay? One of the great things that I came across um, in studying for this is, is one commentator who makes this, this sentence, and it's not, you can tell it's not meant to be this major thing, but it just jumped out at me, this one sentence that he says, where he says, Romans grows out of Paul's missionary situation. Romans grows out of Paul's missionary situation. So we have this book of incredible theology, this deep, rich theology. But it's being written out of personal experience of a man with a mission. This is coming out of a very missional context. So Paul is not someone who's just closed up in a room somewhere, like just thinking all the time just about God. This is a man who is life on life with people, seeing transformation happen with his own eyes, experiencing it himself. And he is out on the fringes. He is out in the margins, gaining new ground for the kingdom. This is a man who is engaged with the world. And he's seeing God at work in the world. He's not just theorizing about it. But he's experiencing it. He is doing it. And it's out of that that this rich theology comes to us. Okay? We talked two weeks ago about the idea of the napkin that we laid out. Right? Let's put that napkin up there again. Okay? This is part of who we are from the very beginning. Again, from the very beginning we said we felt like God was calling us to be about two things. Discipleship and mission. 
And we have this idea that the two cannot be separated. They are intertwined with each other, intimately connected to the other. So while we are in this process of discipleship, God is also asking us to be about mission, to be out, and, and to be engaged in His work in the world. And that mission will feed into our discipleship, and that discipleship feeds into our mission. And so we said discipleship is being led by Jesus into the heart of the Father. And then mission is the heart of the Father sending us out into the world. That, that word ecclesia, that word of church in the New Testament, literally means called out ones. And we don't believe that it's God like stepping out of the world, calling us out of the world to this kind of huddled place. <clears throat> but instead, we believe that God is active and engaged in the world and he is out there calling us out into it, saying, leave the little huddle behind. Come and be engaged and get your hands dirty with me out in this world. That's what we're about as a church. And I love the fact that that's what Paul is about here. We want to model ourselves after that. It's who we said we were going to be at the very start. It's who we are becoming now. And it's who God is continually calling us to be. So this is a starting point for us that thrusts us out into the future. And he says, this is what we are supposed to be about. So, Romans, deep theology, incredible theology. But this is not a man who is just theorizing about it. This is a man who is experiencing it, a man who is actively engaged with it. And his rich theology grows out of that experience. That's part of the discipleship process for us. God is asking us to be engaged with what he's doing in the world. And the two, discipleship and mission, they can't be separated. They're intimately intertwined with each other. Cool. So number one, it's about practical theology. Number two, planted by Pentecost. Planted by Pentecost, okay? Here's a really uh, incredible thing um, that I discovered um, in, in doing this research. Um, the earliest theologians and, and historians of the church um, marked back that they didn't think that any of the main apostles actually planted the church in Rome. This church that became so crucial and, and, um, and important in the life of the worldwide church. They don't think that any of the apostles actually planted that. A lot of traditions will say that Peter went to Rome and started uh, the church in Rome. But they believe, the uh, historians believe that it actually started um, not by any of the main apostles, but by that moment when Pentecost took place. Okay, so Pentecost is this moment we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks on the uh, Pentecost Sunday. But when all of these uh, Jews from around the world had gathered uh, in Jerusalem to celebrate this, this feast day, this feast of Pentecost, and it's in that moment when they are gathered there together, when the Holy Spirit descends and inaugurates the church and fills believers with the Holy Spirit. And so this moment of change where you didn't have to come to the temple to experience the presence of God, but now the presence of God lived in each person. And so when that happened, it says that 3,000 people came to know the Lord in that day. That, that 3,000 people became followers of Jesus Christ on that day. Now, those 3,000 people didn't just stay in Jerusalem and didn't just huddle there together. 
They went back to their homes. They had come from everywhere. And so when, when the feast was over, they went back. And it's believed that it's Christians, uh, that it was Jews from Rome that had gone for the Pentecost feast and now came back filled with the Holy Spirit that started this first church here in Rome. So it was planted not by a single person that you could point to to say that is the apostle and when we are following this guy. Instead, it's planted by Pentecost, planted by the Holy Spirit. And from the beginning of this church too, we said we wanted to be the same way. We said that churches, new churches, always take on the personality of their founders. And we said from the very beginning, our founder is Jesus Christ. This is bigger than any of us, and we want to take on his personality. This church is founded by a team approach of shared leadership called the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right? And we want to continually remind ourselves of that, that he is our leader, and that we are following the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So, as we go through this book, understand, it's a book about practical theology. This is a church that was planted by Pentecost, by a movement of the Holy Spirit, and people bringing that back to their home, and, and something brand new starting because of that moment. The third piece is this, movement leads to movement. Movement leads to movement. Uh, historians um, mark a very interesting point in the history of Rome. Around 49 AD, um, this thing happens where Claudius declares that all of the Jews in Rome have to be expelled. Like they are, they are chased out of Rome. They are ordered to leave Rome. All of the Jews in Rome ordered to leave. Why? They say because there were riots sparked by Crestus. Okay? Crestus is the, is the word. And, and the historians believe that this is uh, like a mix-up of, uh, of the Greek word Christ. And that there was this argument and all this debate going on between probably um, the traditional Jews who, who held to their traditional Jewish faith and the Jews who are new converted Christians and the debates and the uproar going back and forth over who was right. Okay? And because of this, they get expelled out of Rome, and they're chased away, and, and they have to leave. Um, what emerges out of this is that now the non-Jews in this first Christian church suddenly have to step into the leadership positions. That probably before, it was Jews who were the leaders of this church, and now the, uh, the non-Jews have to step into leadership, into the leadership backing left by this expulsion. And because of that, when the other Jews return back to Rome, there is this tension that continues. And people are wondering, should we hold more tightly to, the, to some of the Jewish traditions, or do some of those don't matter anymore in this new reality of Jesus Christ? And there's this major debate going on, and Paul addresses a lot of that here. And what Paul says is that a lot of the old law now is, uh, is actually made complete in Jesus Christ, so some of those old things don't matter anymore. And so that moment, the Jews being sent away, Gentiles stepping into leadership, and totally transforming the way that church looked, didn't just impact Rome, but it impacts the whole world and how we see Christianity now. And so now, we aren't held by some of the same old standards, but we realize we live in a new standard 
in the reality of Jesus Christ. Really interesting transformation that happens there, okay? So the movement of these people being sent away actually changes the movement of Christianity throughout history. The question for us today is this. Where do we see the same things happening for us now? What are the social and cultural changes that we see taking place that are windows of opportunity for the Spirit to gain new ground in the world? Because Gentiles stepped into leadership in that Roman church, now the door was open even wider, um, beyond it being just a kind of an offshoot of a Jewish religion. And it literally became this worldwide religion. So what are the new things that are happening now? What are the social, the cultural shifts that are happening that we need to recognize as an opportunity that God is laying out before us? One would be immigration. Okay? Immigration. People see that as a hot-button political issue. But take a step back and ask, what is God up to? Instead of people completely freaking out, all right, and, and, and trying to close borders, we need to say, what is God up to in this movement of masses of people coming into new places? What is God up to and what, is, what could be accomplished for the kingdom through this shift, cultural, social shift, leading to transformation? Uh, also, there's the movement of people into the cities. And, and it, very soon, we're going to hit the mark where more people, for the first time, where more people live in cities than they do live outside of cities. What is going on with this change and this movement, and what does that mean for the kingdom? What new strategies should we be aware of and, and dive into because of what is happening? What is God up to in this movement of people? Um, also, the dropout rate between 18 and 30-year-olds in the church all the way across uh, North America. And every denomination, every style of church marks it. And they say, for some reason, people between 18 and 30 just are completely disconnected from church. Where are they going? So maybe they're raised in it, and the moment they go to college, they completely disappear from the faith. Where are they going? And so that gives us the opportunity to say, what new strategies do we need to implement um, to reach people who are disappearing from the church. And then finally, Chapel Hill in general. As we take a step back and look at ourselves, we realize that we are, in a sense, at the center of the world. Okay, The world comes to Chapel Hill uh, because of research, because of the university, because of all these different things. People are coming from all around the world to Chapel Hill. And then they're also leaving again. It's a very transitive kind of place. So people are coming here and they're leaving, going to all corners of the world. What does that mean for us as a church and our role and our response to that? What kind of transformation is possible through that? So there you go. That was long-winded. I apologize. All right, I'm sorry about that. But it's really interesting to me to see these changes that are happening. And we take a step back and we just see maybe as a cultural shift or as a social shift. But God is saying there is a window of opportunity here. Recognize it for what it is. What are you going to do with it? And that's a question for us to wrestle with. The final piece is this. Very simple. The gospel. The gospel. What is this book about? In two words, the gospel. 
all throughout the book, it's clear that this is Paul's theme. Okay, he mentions the word the gospel 11 times. Eight times it comes either in the introduction or the conclusion. And so he's setting it up at the beginning. This is about the gospel. This is about the gospel. This is about the gospel. Then he unpacks what that means through the book and he closes it at the end. This is about the gospel. This is about the gospel. This is about the gospel. What is the gospel? Paul says, I'm not ashamed here in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which set the whole theme for the rest of the book. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation. And that the gospel reveals a righteousness that comes from God and comes by faith. And that's the whole picture for Paul. That's what it is about. It's about this righteousness that comes from God and happens by faith. The word righteousness... When we talk about it as an attribute of, attribute of God, it means that He is right. Okay, In all ways, He is right. When we talk about it as the activity of God, it means that God is making us right with Him and pulling us into a right relationship with Him. And this doesn't just mean kind of a change in our standing or a change in just the way He sees us. It literally means a change within us. That his righteousness is setting us right with him. That he is bringing us into right relationship with him. And the book of Romans, as we're going to learn through the summer, is about transformation. It is about metamorphosis. This all-out new creation that God is at work forming in us. And it's more than just you being saved from sin. It's about you being saved into and for righteous living empowered by the Holy Spirit, enabled by the Holy Spirit. That's what the whole thing is about. That's what this whole book is about. So that's how we're going to close, is just to read this theme here that Paul lays out. This is, the, this is what sets the whole thing up. The whole book is about this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So this is a kind of righteousness that comes from God. It is a gift from Him. It is not earned by anything that we do. It has already been earned by God's activity in Jesus Christ on the cross and being raised from the grave, and it's something that He wakes up in us, that He infuses in us, and sets us in this right relationship with Him. <coughs> something that happens by faith is something that comes from God. So there it is. As we go through the rest of the summer, those four things. This is a book about practical theology. Not a man just theorizing in a room somewhere, surrounded by books, it's a man who knows what he's talking about because he's out and he's engaged in it. He is active in it. Number two, planted by Pentecost. The Holy Spirit drives the church. The Holy Spirit drives the church. And anywhere that the church is flourishing it is because of the Holy Spirit. Anywhere that the church is in decay, it is because the Holy Spirit has not been given the 
actually open the window to, to lead in that church. Um, three, movement leads to movement. What is God up to in the world? Look around. What are the opportunities that he is laying out for us? And how are we going to respond to them? And then for the gospel. That's what it's about. The gospel. This righteousness that comes from God that we receive by faith and through grace. Father, help us through this summer as we dig into this book and we pray as we chew on it, as we chew slowly through it, as we wrestle with it. We pray for awakenings. We pray for reformations. And we pray for hearts to be strangely warmed. We pray that we wouldn't just engage with this word simply with our minds, but we would do so with our hearts and with our lives. And that this town would be a different place because of it. Through your scripture, lead us deeper into your heart. And out of your heart, send us into the world with this message of hope, of transformation, of metamorphosis that can take place through the power of your Holy Spirit. See you name we pray. Amen.